Good morning, everybody. All right, so how many of you would agree that someone's last words are pretty important? Or at least very interesting just to know what they are, right? Well, listen to these uh, 12 famous last words, okay? First, Vince Lombardi. You know, uh, the Super Bowl trophy is named after him. He turned to his wife, Marie, and said, happy anniversary, I love you. Then he died. Harriet Tubman, she gathered her family around, they sang together, and her last words were, swing low, sweet chariot. <laughs> Leonardo da Vinci, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Says the person who painted the most famous painting in history. <laughs> like, goodness gracious. All right, uh, now Benjamin Franklin. All right, so if you're a fan of The Office, this is good for you. If not, let's just put the real picture of Ben Franklin up. So Benjamin Franklin was lying on his deathbed. He was super sick, age 84. And his daughter said to him, Dad, turn, over here, turn on your side so you can breathe more easily. And his response was, a dying man can do nothing easy. Amelia Earhart first female to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. She actually went missing, not on that flight, but on another flight in 1937. And I don't know, like Rob Clippers here, I'm probably gonna say, what, say this wrong. I need a pilot to check how I say this, but here's her last words. We're on the line 157-337, flying north and south. That was her last transmission. Martin Luther King Jr., he said this to a musician who was going to play um, at an event he was doing that night. Ben, play Precious Lord tonight in the meeting. Play it real pretty. Steve Jobs, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow. You know what I have to say to that? Wow. <laughs> All right. Marie Antoinette, so she's on her way to the guillotine. She steps on the executioner's foot and says, pardonnez-moi, monsieur. <laughs> that one's got to be a legend. I mean, I don't believe half of these, but that one for sure, okay? <laughs> Arthur Conan Doyle, if you're not familiar with him, he's the creator of the character Sherlock Holmes, turned to his wife and said, you are wonderful. T.S. Eliot considered one of the major poets of the 20th century. Valerie. Valerie. That one word, his wife's name. Emily Dickinson, an equally famous poet. I must go in, for the fog is rising. And then lastly, John Wayne turned to his wife and said, of course I know who you are. You're my girl. I love you. So those are interesting, right? Some of them kind of ominous, some weird, some profound. But for me, and I could tell just by the reaction in the room, the four favorites, I think, were the husbands speaking to their bride. That privilege that the last person you get to talk to before passing would be your wife, your bride. Well, I want to tell you another 
uh, famous person's last words. This guy was a king. And his last words to his bride was, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I will be with you always to the very end of the age. You know, when you ponder this statement by Jesus, like almost the whole biblical story can kind of be told just through this last statement. And you know, this wasn't Jesus' last statement before he died. This was his last statement before he ascended to be with the Father. But he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Originally, all authority on heaven and earth was given to Adam and Eve. And then who did they give it over to? Satan. And then who took it back from Satan? The God-man Jesus. So the story is being completed. Authority on earth was meant to be in humanity's hands. Jesus died as all of humanity and took it back and now gives it to the new humanity, the church. We are the new humanity. We're the people from another realm, from another world. We're the people from the future kingdom of God living here in this present evil world. Go. What did, what did God commission Adam and Eve to do? Fill. Make disciples. This is, I want people to carry my image again. I want the earth to be filled with my image. All nations. This is a shout out to the Tower of Babel. What happened at Babel? All the nations were created and scattered. Well, Jesus is saying, go to all those nations that were scattered, all my scattered children. Baptizing. This is a shout out, partially at least, to the experience the Israelites had when they went through the Red Sea, when they parted through the waters, when they left slavery as they went through the waters. So what do we do when we leave slavery? What did Debbie, Alex, and Rob all do when they passed through those waters this morning? They, they were demonstrating all of us, I'm leaving the slavery of the prince of the power of the air. I'm not his possession anymore. I am God's legal possession now. I am born again. I could go on and on, but, um, and I'm going to. I got another half hour to go on and on, okay? <laughs> so, um, Eugene Peterson, who authored uh, the translation or paraphrase, perhaps is a better way to call it, better thing to call it, the message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible that's exceptional and has a lot of really good stuff to it. It's not the best thing to do to just, you know, study deeply, but it's powerful. I mean, it's, this guy really captured the Great Commission so prophetic and profoundly. Let's look at how Eugene Peterson said it. God authorized and commanded me to commission you Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. So if you're not tracking with me yet, this is called the Great Commission 
And this was our King Jesus's last words before he ascended to heaven. So let's, I want to, I want to kind of pick apart a little bit of how Eugene translates this that really touched me and stirred me. First, go out and, so you can go to the next slide, Denise. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. In this way of life, not the Jewish way of life. Although obviously our faith is built on Judaism. Not the Greek or Roman way of life. Not the French, Chinese, American way of life. Not the Republican way of life. Not the Democrat way of life. Not the conservative or liberal way of life. Not the Cochran, Hazelmeyer, Oprah, Hollywood, Cincinnati, Midwestern, whatever you want, way of life. We're committed to Jesus's way of life. We're committed to Jesus's way of life. And this is, this phrase, the way of life, it's kind of like an ancient phrase. The very first thing that Christians were ever called were followers of the way. Before they were called Christians, they were called, it was called the way. And it was just looked at as like a sect of Judaism. But man, taking hold of this language, the way, or the way of life of Jesus. Like, I think we all know just, when you read the gospels, if Jesus teaches something, you obey it. Like, if he teaches something, you obey it. But something for me, at least, that God's been inviting me into and developing in me in this last season of life is to not just study the commands of Jesus, but to also study the life of Jesus, to study the way of Jesus. What were Jesus's rhythms? How did he live? When did he rest? When did he work? What, would, what did he spend his time doing? And to actually look at this as the way that I want to live my life. To not, not just relegate it to what are the different clear commands he gives. I mean, for sure we got to grab those. But I think that's part of our church's journey is taking hold of this mentality. How did Jesus live? I want to apply that to 21st century dad of three little kids, husband, da da da, da and then live out the way. This is the way. Is there no Mandalorian in the room? <laughs> Have you ever seen the show? You're supposed to say something back to me right now. Okay, whatever. <laughs> then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. Instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. What was one of Jesus's practices? Making disciples. That was like his main practice. You know, that was like the thing he, and he, he grabbed 12 guys. He said, you're going to be with me for the next three years. We're doing this. Like he invested so much of his energy and time into this idea of making disciples. So when Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, teaching him to obey everything I have commanded you, it's implicit in that statement that part and parcel of being a disciple is making disciples. These are inseparable concepts. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after, I mean, you just can't not read it that way. Day after day after day. I mean, who's had a day after day after day, right? Like I had a little bit of day after day after day this week, okay? 
But who's with us? Jesus, the whole time. And did you know that history is actually going somewhere? Time will end. Time began when God created the earth and we're going somewhere. Where it's not just a loop, like, okay, let's just keep going. You know, eventually fly to Mars and colonize Mars. We're like, no, time will end. And there's one thing Jesus said to do until time ends. There was one thing he made very clear as he is levitating off into heaven. One thing he said to go do, not to plant churches, not to serve the poor, not to reform legislation, not to study the Bible, not to heal the sick, all really good things that we should do. But the one thing he chose to say was make disciples, teach people to follow the way. So how have we been uh, defining what a disciple is, what an apprentice of Jesus is? Let's look at this triangle. An apprentice of Jesus is someone who is with Jesus, becomes like Jesus, and does what Jesus did. Now this isn't a, so it's someone who is with Jesus, becomes like Jesus, and does what Jesus did. This isn't like a one, two, three, like move clockwise, move in a pattern. It's, they, they intermingle and we do multiple at once. And you know that like what Jesus did on the cross was very, very effective. You know, you have become like Jesus. <laughs> like you have the new nature of Jesus Christ deposited in you, Holy Spirit, Father God is inside of you right now. And yet, I still am living the life from when I was born from my mom. I still am living in that body. And when that end goal happens, when Jesus comes back, I'll get a new body. And all the dumb thoughts I think and all the bad habits I have, done. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be totally glorified. So a little bit of a tangent right now. I didn't try to go anywhere, but... Apprenticeship to Jesus looks like being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. I just want to note that there is a difference for Jesus between being one of his disciples and being in the crowd that he was speaking to. There's a difference from being someone who comes to hear him and then goes back to their life, and then somebody who comes to hear him and then starts to follow him. Or maybe comes to hear him and then goes back to their life and starts to base their decisions off of what they heard him say. There's a difference between the two. We want to be the disciple in the disciples, right? Not in the crowd. Not in those that just came to get something. So Father, I pray that that's what you would do in our church. I mean, I know you've done it. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is not a room full of disciples, this is a room full of passionate disciples. Thank you so much, God, for Rob, the disciple, for Debbie, the disciple, for Alex, the disciple. I thank you so much, Lord. But we want to go deeper into what it means to apprentice under you. We want to bear even more fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the title of my message today is Resist Spiritual Idleness, Embrace the Great Commission. This is the last message in our six-part vision series, um, and it's the last one service Sunday for the foreseeable future. So next Sunday, 9.30 and 11.30, and we'll keep rolling like that. And then also today, after my message, at noon, we're having a town hall meeting in the basement, in the lower level. Free pizza, you can come and engage with the last six sermons and hear more about where we're trying to go as a church.
So embrace the Great Commission, resist spiritual idleness, embrace the Great Commission. This phrase, Great Commission, most people think was coined by a missionary named Hudson Taylor. And Hudson Taylor was a radical guy. He was known for, he lived in the 1800s. He was known for extreme respect and love for Chinese culture. He was a missionary in China, but also massive zeal for evangelism. You know, that's like the devil hates that combination. <laughs> so he knew there is kingdom in Chinese, in, in, in Chinese culture. There is kingdom there that I don't even have. Because God's, they had bear God's image. So I'm not trying to make them, you know, American or British or whatever. But if they don't know about Jesus, if they haven't done this to Jesus, they need that, okay? No good culture is going to save you. Only Jesus will save you. And I think that when we think of the Great Commission, it's easy to kind of relegate it to missionaries or to the Hudson Taylors. And to think like, oh, well, that's the thing that, you know, Ellen Fitch did when her and Dan lived in Albania. Or that's, you know, what like Jack Zerwanka was just doing when he was on his YWAM trip, you know. But really, the Great Commission is for all of us. Every single one of us, the Great Commission is for. And part of the reason is because we were actually designed for the Great Commission. We were built for it. You know how I said last week that we were designed to work from rest? The correction there for us was start and rest and then go out into work. An overcorrection would be just stay and rest and don't work ever. <laughs> we were created to work. Think about a pot for a second. What is a pot designed to do? Collect things, right? It's designed to be filled. It gets really wet. But you know what a pot is not designed to do? Transport things. Unless someone else comes up and picks that pot up and dumps the water out, it's not going anywhere. And in fact, if someone doesn't do that or someone doesn't turn the heat up, it's going to get nasty and stagnant and mildewy, you know? Compare this with a pipe. What are pipes designed for? They're designed for things to travel through them. They're designed to, to let things flow. Pipes are a vehicle. They receive a lot, they get really wet, but simultaneously, they also pass things along. It's just what, it's just what a pipe was designed for. What goes in, comes out, for better or for worse. <laughs> Did you know that that's what we're designed to be, is pipes? As Christians, we are designed to be pipes, not pots. Let's look at Genesis 1, 26 to 28 again. We looked at this last week. We're just going to go really quick through it because this is the foundational premise for the Great Commission. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. Now skipping down. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule. So one of the first things that should stick out to us here is these two phrases that are being repeated. Image and or words. Image and rule. Image and rule. Derek Morphew, biblical kingdom scholar, um, talks about image like this or clarifies for us image like this. 
Whatever else one may wish to say about what the image of God means, theologians have come up with many explanations, classic theologians. Clearly, the primary point about the image of God is that since God rules, to be like God, man must rule too. Man must rule too. You were born for this. We were designed to rule. We were designed for the Great Commission. Having the image of God means we were created to rule. That we have the capacity to rule. You know that dogs can't rule? You know that computers can't rule? Birds can't rule? Humans bear the image of God. Humans get the responsibility, get the joy, get the privilege of ruling. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't make a very important note right here. In the image of God, he created them. Male, and everyone just shout, and female. He created them. You know what this means? That women rule also. It was part of the curse that men would rule over their wives. Who reversed the curse? Jesus, okay? So men and women are both equally created in the image of God. God can't even be completely represented without man and woman together. And they rule. Women rule. Boys drool. Just kidding. So, <laughs> did not think that would be funny. So, rule, this is like a royal term, right? This should make us think of like kings and castles. And that's good. That's the right image we should have. Because Jesus is a king and he has a will that he wants to be done. So when we're ruling, what we're doing is we're bringing God's loving, perfect, amazing, healing will into people's lives, into families' lives, into marriages' lives, into schools' lives, into your neighbor's life, into my life. Fruitful and fill. He says, be fruitful and increase in number. So reproduce image bearers. You know, if you put two teenagers naked in a room and turn the lights out, they're going to reproduce. Like, this is natural for humans. That is just what humans are supposed to do, is reproduce. Now, the thing that we can miss is we also spiritually reproduce. We spiritually reproduce. Again, for better or for worse. But it's part of who we are. We are supposed to spiritually reproduce. Fill. Fill. He says, fill the earth. So go, basically. Go, don't stay. Go, don't stay. Take this amazing Eden palace, beautiful garden, and spread it. You gotta go. Go, don't stay. You can't spell gospel without go. <laughs> So what does this disciple, or what does this passage make you think of? Jesus's last words, the Great Commission, right? I can't help but think that these 12, these 11 apostles, and there's probably a bunch of other guys there, um, that were just immersed in scripture, were immersed in this Genesis story I just read. It would have been like going off like, in their mind when Jesus is commissioning them. This passage would have. So, so Jesus says, go, and they hear, oh, fill. 
Jesus says, make disciples. And they're thinking, oh my gosh, just like how Adam was supposed to be fruit, Adam and Eve were supposed to be fruitful. He hears, they hear, teach them to obey. And they hear, oh, rule. So the great commission given to you and me through the apostles is a reclamation of the Eden commission given to Adam and Eve. The great commission is a reclamation of the Eden commission. Now, Paul talks about this also. I'm just going to speed through this passage, okay? We put up the 2 Corinthians 5 passage. Skip to that. Everyone just look at that last paragraph. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. And he has committed us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So the first part of that is that we're new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. And this new person I am is an ambassador. It's just who I am. I'm an ambassador. I can't help it. Ephesians 5, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. So what does light do? It shows people the way when they're in darkness. There's people in this room who are in darkness right now. You have come here. You're not exactly sure why. You've been checking this place out. You like the, the music or the free coffee or you like the chick you're sitting next to. And I just want to tell you that Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light for you. He loves you. He knows you. He's seen everything you've been through. And he wants to do life with you. All you have to do is say, Jesus, you're in charge. You quote Rob, I'm handing you the keys. So I grew up in a totally, you know, Christian environment. I mean, my parents are all about the Great Commission. You know, so like I grew up in an environment where it was easy to love God. There was no real like massive bad representation to me of what it meant to love God. But nonetheless, by the t and I had experiences with God. I received Jesus as a young kid. I spoke in tongues. I got baptized. But in my high school years, I really fell away. And I, I just didn't really want to do the Jesus way thing, you know? Like this is the way, like, nah, what's Wilson's way? You know, like, let's go do sex, drugs, and rock and roll type of thing. And literally, like, those were my vices, was I was very lustful. And then besides that, I had a very short little pothead period. But pretty quickly, I just became obsessed with metal music. And Luke and I were really into hardcore music and death metal music. And we both thought we were so tough. The difference was Luke really was. Okay? <laughs> and... We just rebelled. We were, we were not actively following Jesus at all. Well, I end up in college. I'm directionless, depressed, think I have everything I want, but really I'm still feeling just super empty. So I end up in Jacksonville, Florida with Mark and Janet Baxter at a thing called Youth with a Mission. Youth with a Mission, YWAM. It's an international, interdenominational missions organization. It's the biggest one in the entire world. So I went there for this training school and I went there just for adventure. I thought I'll sit through these classes and I'll get to go to India. That's gonna be so sweet, you know? But what happened was God spoke to me. Mike Bickle describes it like this. 
the internal audible voice of God. It's when you hear God clearer than you've ever heard him before, but it's not coming from out there. It's coming from in here. And he just spoke so clearly to me. He said, Wilson, you're going to be here for a while. And I took a bunch of steps, long story short, to end a toxic relationship that I was in and just really surrender my life to actually start, start following the way of Jesus. And that led to two and a half incredibly exciting, great commission and um, participatory years for me. I got to lead teams. I, got, I joined the staff there and I got to lead teams throughout 15 different countries in the Middle East and in Southeast Asia. We're encountering witch doctors who are experiencing God's presence. Um, people are getting healed of bronchitis. We got detained twice in Lebanon for sharing the gospel. Like, it was sweet. It was like action-packed. I am getting to pour into um, my peers. I was trusted for some reason to influence and disciple them. And I'm getting to see them change and love Jesus and just go all in for the gospel. And then God called me out of there. And, and, and through a process of prayer and wisdom and direction from others, I realized I'm supposed to move back to Cincinnati and go to college. And, uh, and I was doing that all just to ultimately end up in the Middle East again so that I could like work in an embassy or something like that. So I'm going to UC, I'm working for Bruce Audi back here as a subcontractor, putting windowsills in. And um, I thought it would be like, just not skip any beat. You know, this is gonna be awesome. But what I found was I got really depressed and I felt just totally directionless and spinning my wheels again. And I was like, man, this is how I felt before I went to Huawei and what's going on, you know? And what happened was I fell into idol. I fell into spiritual idleness. I was an idol. You know when a car's an idol? It's not going backwards, but it's not going forward either. It's just right here. And after a while, if you're a Christian and you're an idol, you go one way or the other. Like you don't just stay an idol as a Christian, okay? You either end up getting launched forward or you fall backwards. So I want to pause my story and I want to look at some raw data about this idol, spiritual idleness thing, okay? Um, two disclaimers before we start looking at this, this data. Number one, well, it's never good news when you got to give a disclaimer, okay? So just get ready. <laughs> First disclaimer, this is all from a study by a group called Barna. So they're a amazing research organization in the United States that specializes all on um, what's happening in the church in America. So this little booklet you can get off their website, it's called Growing Together. It was done in 2022, so it's really fresh, awesome data. Um, but my two disclaimers before we go into this data, number one, I'm on a journey in this thing too of, of walking in the Great Commission, okay? So please don't hear that I think I have it all figured out and I'm the epitome of what you should be doing. Um, one of our sayings here is, take your next step. Don't be perfect. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Take your next step. What is Jesus doing in your life? How can you take your next step to obey him and go, go after him? And my second disclaimer is this. I want us to look at these statistics with a lot of grace, but a lot of the Holy Spirit's conviction as well. No condemnation, but conviction. They're different, and conviction's a really good thing. So put up the first uh, survey, please. Okay, I, you can't read any of that. It's okay, unless you have eagle eyes. But what this 
what's this called again? A circle graph or something? I don't know. You guys know. So what this is showing us, this is a survey about what the spectrum of discipleship community is like in the church in America. In America. And what this, that whole red thing, that's 39% of Christians. And guess what? They're not engaged in discipleship. 39% of Christians are not engaged directly in the Great Commission. That green spot, that's 28%. That is people who are receiving, who are being discipled, but are not discipling. So 39% of Christians are not engaged in discipleship at all. 28% are only being discipled. The, the pot thing, the just receiving thing. So if we look at the hard truth here, 67% of American Christians are not actively participating in Jesus's commission, his last words to us. And it gets a little bit worse. But also this is, it's kind of good that, to see this next part. So we're, there's not gonna be any, you can take that down, Denise. Um, here's some questions that people answered. Of the Christians who are not engaged in discipleship, actually put it back up. So everyone in the red, okay, only 30% of them said that they strongly agree that their relationship with Jesus brings them deep joy and satisfaction. People who weren't engaged in discipleship, only 30% said that their relationship with Jesus brings them deep joy and satisfaction. That's kind of like what it's all about. <laughs> you know, that we would have deep joy and satisfaction in our faith. 26%, only 26% said that their relationship with Jesus impacts the way li they live their life every day. Only 19%, this shouldn't surprise us, only 19% said they were passionate about becoming more like Jesus. And 24%, only 24% said that they're depending on the Holy Spirit to lead them. So chances are, if we're not engaged in not only being discipled, not only receiving discipleship, but also discipling, we're not gonna have a super confident yes to Jesus impacts my life, how I live every day, or I'm passionate about becoming more like him. Cue my uh, recommendation to listen to Jordan's message from about four weeks ago about community. So if you're hearing these stats and they feel untrue to your experience, and what I mean by that is that you're not discipling anyone, nor are you being discipled, but you do have deep joy and satisfaction out of your relationship with Jesus. You do base your daily decisions off your relationship with Jesus. You are passionate about becoming more like him, and you do depend on the Holy Spirit to lead you. So you're in that select minority that's not engaged in discipling others or being discipled, but you are still, you know, quote unquote, thriving, really experiencing the life and vitality of Jesus flowing into you. I don't disbelieve you, okay? Like, I totally believe you. But what I want to say is, you're robbing other people of thriving. You're actually robbing other people of thriving. Because other people won't be led by the Holy Spirit. Other people, or, or, or cultivate an awareness of being led by the Holy Spirit. Other people won't desire to become more like Jesus until you disciple them and teach them how to disciple others. Because we were born for this. We were designed for this. We are pipes. We are light. We are ambassadors. We bear God's image. 
So I'm feeling all directionless and depressed back in 2012. I've come back from YOM. I'm just doing the stuff. And uh, Luke just really challenged me. And you know, in Psalms, it says, better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. And Luke just challenged me. He was like, bro, you're not engaged in the Great Commission at all. Like you were full on in the Great Commission before. You were full on engaged in discipleship. And now you're just like coasting. You're not doing any of that. And so I took that seriously and I just looked for the first opportunity in front of me where I could get back involved. And that was here at this church serving in Alpha. And that's what, one of the things I would say to you, one of your takeaways from today. First of all, is like we're going on a journey as a church where all of us can have tools and confidence to be disciples who make disciples. But just today, just look around. Where is there need around you where you can contribute to disciple making? Northwest Kids, Student Revival, Rev 56, those are all tomorrow's disciple makers. My dream would be that there's a waiting list to serve in Student Revival. There's a waiting list to serve in Northwest Kids. We, sorry, we can't have this many adults in here. Like, we can't, we're exceeding the room capacity. <laughs> what about it, church? I'm throwing the gauntlet down on y'all, okay? Now, I want to affirm something else before I end. Anyone in this room who is parenting a child or very involved in grandparenting or, or whatever, that you're a heavy influence in a child's life, you're a parent, you are walking in the Great Commission. Okay? Especially moms, I want you to hear this. You're making disciples. You are discipling. Some of the, and you're doing some of the most important discipling work. Okay? So to close, I just want to look at the, la the fi top five reasons that Christians are not interested in being a disciple maker. Sorry, you probably can't read that. I'll have to read it to you. 37% said, I don't feel qualified to address hard topics. That's why I'm not engaged in disciple making. 35%, 35% said, I don't think I would be very good at it. 31% said, I don't think I'm knowledgeable enough about the Bible or Christianity. 28% said, I wouldn't know how to do it. And then this one makes me puke. 24% said, this sounds like the job of a church leader or ministry professional. You know that James, Peter, and John were not on staff at a church. They didn't even have a church, okay? <laughs> so you guys stand with me. I just want to pray and bless us. Again, you can get this little book. It's a great resource to kind of light some fire into you. Growing Together by Barna. You can get the digital copy for $7. So why don't you just put your hands out. You're about to receive a gift. Holy Spirit, I thank you so much that you've given us the gift of bearing the image of the risen King Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. You didn't have to upgrade us to sons and co-laborers. You didn't have to commission us. You could have given us orders and made us slaves. But we're free. We're free from the bondage of this world and we want to share that freedom. We want to share that freedom. We heard this announcement that Jesus rose from the dead and we want to be an announcer that Jesus rose from the dead. I thank you for the years upon years upon years of wisdom, of, of real life experience of following Jesus that qualifies every person in this room 
with a little bit of training, to walk as a disciple maker. I thank you that that is not a special thing reserved for the superstars. That's our destiny, that's our identity, and we get to run this race with you, Jesus. You'll be with us day after day after day. And right now I break off wounds from parents who didn't believe in us and jacked up our self-confidence. I just break that off right now in Jesus' name. I feel like there's a woman here whose father recently died and you resonate with that. If that's real or true, I just say be free in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you so much that it is your good pleasure. Jesus said, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We receive it, God. In Jesus' name, amen.